Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Even with that being said, we are in the series where we are looking at lessons along the way. If you've ever referred to yourself as being a Christian, it's because that's culturally, we call each other Christians, and it is biblical, but the actual first words that people refer to themselves as were people of the way. Everyone say the way. A lot of people believe it's the way because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so the way of Jesus is the way of discipleship. In the New Testament, there's a word um, for disciple, and it's called Talmudin. Everyone say Talmudin. Ooh, you did okay with that one. We'll t- say Talmudin. That's good. Talmudin is the Greek word disciple. And disciple means a person who follows Jesus closely. And that's our desire. Our desire is to be biblical Talmudin of Jesus. Those people who are a part of that process of becoming more like him, that we are, that our, our life and his life become closer and closer together. With that being said, what a Talmudine is or what a disciple is is simply this. It's on the top of your notes. It's a person who spends time with Jesus to become more like Jesus so that they can do what Jesus did. And so doing what Jesus did is one of the things that we do as an outpouring of our heart because we love God. We want to honor him with all that we say and do. So there are these disciplines that we've been looking at through the last six weeks. And those are these. And it's not legalism. It's there in your notes as a reminder is that we want to spend time with God every day in his word. And so many of us are having the, the verse of the day uh, texted to us or pushed to us in our push notifications or emailed to us. We have a Bible reading plan, but we're giving him the very first minutes of our day. We're reading God's word. We're sharing it with other people. The second thing that we are wanting to do is just not read God's word, but we want to interact with it. And so we have created these uh, spiritual life journals. There's only a couple left. We're going to have to reorder here shortly. Um, and this is a way that we, we not only uh, read God's word, but we interact with it with a little acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And we begin to have God's word speak to us. Because we read God's word and then God's word reads us. The P in soap is prayer. And that's the third thing that disciples do. They have a conversation with God. That's what Jesus did. Scriptures tell us that he would get up early, go to a solitary place and have a conversation with God. And a conversation with God is a two-way street. We're not only talking to him, but we're also listening to what he has to say. And whether whatever your acronym is, however you want to have a conversation, all I know is, is let's just make sure we're keeping it rich and we're keeping it real. Some people, you know, they do, you know, ask, you know, ask, seek and knock. That's your acronym. One that I found helpful is ACTS, A-C-T-S, which is adoration and confession, thanksgiving and supplication. It's thanking God for who he is. It's acknowledging all that he's done for us. It's admitting our faults. And then it is asking him in the midst of all of that. Another thing that we as disciples do in addition to those things is we, the fourth thing is, is that we, we make sure that we are, we're worshiping together. And that is something that you're doing today. You're proving all of the trends wrong. And that is, is that churches are dying and they're diminishing and they're shrinking. But you're here, even when it's like really hot and uncomfortable outside, you're here. And for those of you that are watching from the comfort of home, 
you're here mostly. Uh, and uh, we're here and we're worshiping together. The scripture says, do not fall out of the habit of gathering together. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things in life that are trying to get our attention. But putting God first, not only in our day, but also putting God first in our week is incredibly important to developing the discipline of being a disciple. And then last week I talked about the importance of serving, that that's what disciples do. They, they see a need and they meet a need. And that's called mercy. When we give somebody compassion and love in the name of Jesus, we're serving. And that's what you all do as a church so well. There's a group of people that showed up here so early this morning. They set up the stage in the room. They're watching your kiddos right now. They're going to be cleaning up when we leave. But that is what it is. We never look more like Jesus, church, than when we serve like Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? And so last week, many of you wrote down how you'd like to serve, how you could serve. We've put that into a database. We're going to be following up with you as you go. But here's a quick thing before I go on to the next one and we get into the word today. And that is, is don't be waiting for us to tap your shoulder and ask you to get in the game. We just want you to get in the game. If you see something, do it. Like if you're waiting for someone, we call it being voluntold, right? You know, if you're waiting for someone to volunteer you to do something, please don't. If you see it, do it. And do it to the glory of God. And then here is a fun one we get to talk about today. It is the discipline or the rhythm of a disciple of being generous or giving. If you're taking notes, write that down. We just give intentionally. And there is this principle. There's a stewardship treasure principle which says this. That generous giving leads to uh, to joyful living. Would you say that out loud with me, church? That generous giving leads to joyful living. And some of the most joyful people that I know are the most generous and thoughtful people that I know. And one of the ways that we do that is, is we, we're reminded of the fact that everything that we have is not ours. Everything that we have doesn't belong to me. Everything that we have belongs to who, everyone? He, to God. It's all His. And, and the moment we give our lives to the Lord, what we do is we take ourselves off of the throne and we place Him as the Lord of our life. And we see all that we have is not ours, but all His. And we show ourselves as being uh, stewards of His stuff. It's not my stuff. It's all His stuff. And so what do we do? How do we do it? Well, what we acknowledge is, is that Jesus, and I know this is really weird. We don't think about it this way. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks more about possessions and money and resources than any other topic combined. And I believe the reason is, is because he knew that it was going to be one of the primary ways that our heart's devotion would be wrestled with. At the end of the day, we're talking about a spiritual issue of faith. Uh, in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says these words, and it really is a faith issue. Let me read it for you. And without faith, everyone say faith. faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I'm going to keep that screen, uh, that, sh- that uh, Scripture up on the screen. And I want to remind you, a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to be speaking to this crowd of people. We don't know how many it is. And He's going to say something like this. Why do you worry about what you'll drink or what you'll eat or what you'll wear? He would go on to say, that's what pagans worry about. I want to remind you what a pagan was. A pagan, we think, oh, pagan, that's terrible, right? No, a pagan believed that there was a God 
They just didn't believe that God cared. They didn't believe that God really cared. And what Jesus said is, is, no, 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 I care. My father cares. And then he used it an interesting example. He said, the birds, they don't worry about what they're going to eat. And how much more do I love you than those birds? And I need to tell you something, everybody. Jesus doesn't hate birds, okay? That's not what that's all about, right? Jesus loves you. And he loves me. And he loves us so much more than any other created thing. And what Jesus is trying to say is, this is a matter of faith. You need to trust that God is aware, that he cares, and that you can trust him. And so Jesus knew that. And so what I think what he was saying is, is I want you to put me first. And I want you to trust me with what's already mine. This is on your notes. This is free. This is bonus. There's a slide that's going to come up right now. When we put God first, we, we give him our time and our talents and our treasure. And by that, let me tell you what that means. It means we give him the devotion of our day. Every day, the first thing, our time, God's word, we just focus in on it. We give him the first day of our week, which is Sabbath, which is what you're doing now. You're not making a legalism, but rather what you're doing is you're being very intentional about saying is I'm going to put God first because this is not only is it what God tells me to do, but it's what he modeled in creation. God took a break. I need to take a break. And then we also give him the first fruits of our labor. And that's just what it means to be a good steward. We give him the very first of what is already his, but as a trust, it's a step of faith. And so in your bulletin this weekend, you'll notice there's a little envelope in there. Um, and it talks about, it talks about, um, like, like how you can give back to God. So many of you already do it. You're so obedient in this area of your life. And, and I just want to say, and you don't want me to say thank you because you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for the Lord. Amen. But for others, this is going to be one of those areas where it's going to get personal. Because you'd be happy to give them your time in the morning. You're happy to read the word. You're happy to serve and volunteer. You're happy to share your story and all that kind of stuff. But when you start talking about the area of finances, it gets scary because that's the area from which you are devoted. You've made it something that you are holding on to. And so this is my challenge, church. I want nothing from you. I want everything for you. If you've not yet put God first in the air of your finances, let me encourage you to start somewhere. Do something. I know for some of you, you've been living by the principle of the tithe, which we're going to be talking about in the future. But this isn't a tithing message. This is a heart message. This has to do with the heart. And Jesus knew that the number one competitor for our heart's devotion was going to be on the area of finances. And so for some of you, this is going to be your next step. It's putting God first in the area of the finances. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I love you and I trust you. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'll let you guys go ahead and do that. You can also do it online. You can. There's a lot of ways you can do it without incurring any fees, which Rhonda is appreciating me saying right now because she's our bookkeeper. And you can do that with big drafts and all that kind of stuff. But regardless, God loves your heart and he wants your full devotion. So in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is looking at uh, these kingdom ways of the way. And the very first nine statements that Jesus makes are called the Beatitudes. At the very root of the Beatitudes is the word attitude. And when we think about attitude, we're thinking about a choice. 
Our attitudes are a choice. If we want to be grumpy or if we want to be happy, it's a choice that we make. And when we have these attitudes of Jesus, it's a choice. Everyone say choice. It's a choice. And so today's choice is whether or not we're going to be pure with our hearts. Jesus famously says these words in verse 8 of chapter 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's all read this out letter out loud together. Church, ready? Here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I think this is an incredible statement for one big reason, is that Jesus is making a promise. He's saying you can see and experience God. Ready for this? Mind explosion, right? Okay. You can see God. You can experience God. But the key to that is to be what kind of a condition of our heart, church? A what? A pure heart. Now, when we begin to think about the idea of a pure heart, sometimes we're like, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Now, what he's not talking about is he isn't talking about your pacemaker on your heart right now. He's not talking about your physical heart, but That is a great metaphor for our spiritual heart. We know that if our heart's not beating, we're not living. And Jesus says, if our spiritual heart isn't beating, then we're spiritually dead. That our heart is the epicenter and the control center of our being. In the Old Testament, I love the Old Testament writer. He says it this way in Proverbs 4, verse 23, when he says, above all else, guard your what, church? Your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That our spiritual heart is who we are. It's the essence of who we are. And Jesus is saying this mindful of his audience. They know this scripture right here that talks about it being at the heart, that everything flows from our heart. And that purity is an important part of us experiencing God and Christ. And he makes a promise that we will be able to experience God. The psalmist, I love these words. This is what the psalmist says about our hearts. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? For the one who has clean hands and what everyone a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Now let's hold on to that real quick on the screen. I want to remind you, we're living now in a day and age, the church age, where we take it for granted. We have an unfair advantage to people living over 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit was not yet among us. The day of Pentecost had not yet come. We now... As believers in Jesus Christ, as Talmudim, we have been infused with the Holy Spirit. It's the power for life. It's changed our life forever. But back in the day, if you wanted to experience God, you had to go to a place. You'd have to go to Jerusalem. And they're talking about here ascending to the mountain of the Lord. That's called Mount Moriah. Making your way to the temple mount. And inside there was the holiest of holies where you would find the Ark of the Covenant. And before there, you would stand before God once a year. There'd be a sacrifice that'd be made. Inside Israel's culture, there's this whole idea of ceremonial washing. Before you could go to the temple, you'd have to be ceremonial, made clean. You'd be washed clean. You'd go into what's called a mikvah. And you'd come in one and you'd come out wet. It's like a form of baptism. You'd, you'd enter into the, to the temple clean. And the psalmist is saying, who 
can experience God, it's going to be a person who has a pure heart, pure hands. You go to Israel today and you'll see ceremonial washing stations everywhere. Always washing, always washing. But it has to do with more of a physical washing. What Jesus is talking about is a spiritual washing. He's talking about our hearts being pure. If you want to check out and you just want to take a nap for the next 12 minutes, um, I'm going to give you the big idea. So you can leave here and tell everyone how spiritual you are. Okay, here it is. Here's the big idea of the message. That purity is the pathway to experiencing God. Let's say that out loud, church. That purity is the pathway to experiencing God. That, that's, that's the, in essence, that is the message in a moment. It is the sermon in a sentence. That if you're serious about wanting to see God and to experience God, the path to that is to be understanding what does it mean to be pure. Furthermore, if you're serious about being a follower of the way, if you're serious about being an obedient disciple of Jesus, this principle is real for our life. Think about in the Old Testament, there was a handsome man on the outside. His name was Saul. You might have heard of him before. King Saul uh, um, ruled over Israel. Um, sadly, King Saul, though he looked great on the outside, internally, he was a mess. And he, and he violated time and time and time again of the commands of God. And, and, uh, and as a result, because of his impure heart, he and his descendants would no longer be in positions of leadership in Israel in the future. But there was one that came after Saul. Do you remember what his name was? David. And this is what Scripture says about the edict against Saul because of an impure heart. But now your kingdom, Saul, will not endure. The Lord has sought out... Let's say this next part that I've underlined out loud. Ready? Here we go. A man after his own what? Heart. Now there's this idea that for those of us that are pure in heart, that our hearts are melded together with the heart of God. And it's a really big deal. Saul's heart was not after the things of God. They were after the things of this world and the flesh. But David, though, was not a perfect man. His heart beat after the heart of God and appointed him the ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's what church command. So there is a commandment. There's, there are things that the Lord says, his precepts that he puts before us. And they're not to be, not because of perfection, but rather because of a desire to have a pure heart. So let me quickly unpack what purity is and what it is not. If you're taking notes, write this down. Three types of purity. There's purity that is perfect. If you would, write that down. There is purity <coughs> that is perfect. Now, perfect purity is happening in heaven right now. Did you know that? Perfect purity is happening. There's holiness. There is no sin in heaven. And we know that Christ Jesus is seated where everyone? In what? In heaven. He's in heaven. And in heaven there is purity. Uh, 1 John 3, 2 says these words, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be, future tense, has not yet been known. But 
we know that when Christ appears, which is when He returns to heaven, we shall, what everyone, be like Him. For we will, we shall see Him as He is. And so there is this idea that in heaven, we will be made perfect. That our broken bodies will be brought back to fullness. Anybody's bones aching right now want to say amen to that, right? That means a new body and a new heart and a new mind. There is no cancer in heaven, amen? There's no death or dying. It is perfect. And Jesus is there and heaven is there. And so the first kind of purity is a perfect kind of purity that is available in heaven and it's available to us one day. But now... Because of who we are in Christ, there's a second kind of purity. If you are taking, taking notes, write this down. There's a positional form of purity. And the positional form of purity is made available not based on what we do, but what Christ did for us on the cross. It was made possible that we had a sin problem and that when Jesus died on the cross, He took on the sins of the world. And those of us that were unrighteous became righteous. Uh, those of us who had um, stained, sinful, soaked clothing were wrapped in the perfect robes of righteousness in King Jesus. This is good news, by the way. Someone should say amen to that, right? This is what the writer says to the church in Corinth that was trying to put their brain around this idea. It says, God made him who had how much sin? No sin to be sin for us so that in Him, let's say this out loud, church, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that is good news. The good news is, is because of what Christ did, not what I've done, but because of Him, um, we have been made pure. So there, there's, a, there's something that happens positionally when we give our life to Jesus that In Him, we become adopted, we become made right, we are sons and daughters of the Most High, and we experience purity. And that is good news. And then the third part, which is what I love, there's a practical form of purity. If you would write this down. You're thinking to yourself, well, how in the world can purity become practical? Now, friends, I want to, I just want to get real with you for a second. You see, There's a misunderstanding when it comes to spirituality. And for some people, spirituality means that if a person can make it seem really hard to understand, they're more spiritual. And I just want you to know, I believe that is a lie from the pit of you nowhere. Because Jesus had a way of making really difficult things understandable, even for children. And so for me, my goal is to make this as practical as possible so we can live here and live for Jesus. But if you want a big fancy seminary word, it's sanctification. All right, now I feel smarter, okay? Now let me give you the 20 cent definition of how you can actually live that out. Here it is. Here's the choice. Write this down. Seek practical purity, not impossible perfection. Write that down. Seek practical purity, not impossible perfection. So Jesus was the only person who has ever lived a what kind of a life? 
a perfect life. One person. And guess what, everyone? They killed him for it. He died for it. So our goal is not perfection. Because if that's our goal, we're going to lose every time. And some of you are thinking to yourself, I don't know, I'm doing pretty good, Pastor. All right, well, then you're prideful and you just lost. Okay, on that one right there. (laughs) See, every one of us, we have a sin problem. This side of heaven, we're going to struggle. Scripture says we're prone to wonder. But what we do is we are not chasing perfection, but rather what we're chasing is practical purity. What does that look like? Well, let me share with you three ways of how I think that can look. Number one, that you would make a covenant with your eyes. I stole this from Job. If you ever want to feel better about yourself, just read his story. And Job, and it gets towards the end of Job. And this is what he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully. And so what we know is that our eyes are the gateway to our heart and our soul. Men, amen? And our eyes will, uh, they need a gatekeeper. They need something to keep us on the straight and the narrow. And so a practical way for all of us, especially men who tend to be pretty visually driven, is that we need to make a covenant. And a covenant is a promise before God and ourself to make sure that we're choosing holiness and purity with our eyes. Because we live in a messed up world. we got images coming across our computer screens and our television sets. can't even go down the street and see billboards. You see things on buses. You're like, good grief. And then you get these spotted ads and you're like, man, I could be living for the Lord. And all of a sudden the enemy will come in and just throw something in front of my face. And friends, I just need to let you know that you cannot control what comes across you in life. It's going to hit you one way or another, but you can control what you choose to focus on. The first look kind of comes your way, but you can choose if you're going to take a second. And so there's some of us that practically when it comes to purity, we must choose to make a covenant with our eyes and place um, uh, a, a gate, a gateway. For some of you, that might mean a some kind of a filter on your phone or some kind of an accountability partner where you can get real with this because this will take you down. And if you're serious about being a disciple of Jesus, if you're serious about being holy, if you're serious about having a pure heart and you want to see and experience God, then you need to make sure that your eyes are pure. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down, that you would choose to consecrate your mind. That you would choose to consecrate your mind. I'm going to unpack what it means to consecrate your mind quickly, but I just want you to know that that our mind is one of those things where we have to choose what we're going to do with what enters into it. And a lot of times when we don't have uh, the support around us, when we're not reading uh, God's Word regularly in God's Word, we're not, we're not focusing in on it and praying and doing life together in community, a lot of times what we'll do is, is, is we're going to make decisions with the thoughts in our mind. We're going to act on them. And then we're going to sin. And we're going to feel like junk. We're going to feel terrible. We're going to feel like we're just a loser. We're messed up. And the reason is, is this. There's a couple of, of, of scriptures that, that come to mind here. Proverbs 23, 7. 
For as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. I've heard it said this way, friends, that our life is the sum total of the decisions that we've made. Our life is the sum total of the decisions and choices that we've made. And if we're serious about being Talmudine of Jesus, not only are we wanting to make sure that we're making a covenant with our eyes, but that what we're doing is is we're uh, consecrating our heart. To consecrate means to decide or to declare. And maybe that's a next step for you today is just to decide and to just declare is that I'm going to live differently than this world. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says these words, and I love it because it all comes back to how we think. The choices of our mind says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, let's all say this next word out loud together, think about these things. And so that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to consecrate our minds in Christ Jesus. We're saying, Lord God, would you give me the mind of Christ? I want to see you. I want to experience you. Help me to practically live this life of purity. And we do it with our eyes. We, we do it with our mind. And then number three, practical purity, write this down, is that we commit to cover our hearts with God's word. That we cover our hearts with the very Word of God. Um, I mentioned to you all a while back that, that, that Jewish kids, when they were growing up and they had an opportunity to go to school, their textbook was the Old Testament. They learned how to read and to write through the Torah. And in Psalm 119, just imagine yourself being a teenager. You'd have an opportunity to learn this about what God wants for your heart, that I've hidden your, what everyone, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A little earlier in Psalm 119, David said, how can a young person stay on the path of what? Purity. By living according to what? Your word. You see, Psalm 119 is my favorite psalm because it's just all about the word of God. And the word of God is something that we need to do If we're serious about wanting to have a pure heart, God's Word must penetrate our hearts. Amen? It must. We must be known as men and women of the Word. People of the book. So as I prepare to close and the band makes their way up on the stage, we'll have a final song. I just want to let you guys know that when God makes a promise, He never, ever, ever breaks a promise. His promises are yes and amen. So if you're serious about wanting to see and experience God, the pathway to that is going to be through practical purity. I want to remind you, the purity that we're talking about is not available based on anything that we can do for ourselves, but based on what Christ has done for us on the cross. And because of that, we have been made right we have been made pure. And so what's your next step? What's the decision that you need to make today? Is it, is it what you're allowing to let yourself see? Is it what you're allowing yourself to think? Is it what you're placing in your heart? 
There's a scripture that I want to leave you with. It's a beautiful scripture. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. The word repent means to, to, to make an about face, to move in a new direction. See, I believe it's possible that some of us today, we need to repent from what we've been looking at, what we've been thinking about, and how we've been living. And when we do that, listen to the good news. Listen to the grace. It says, and when you turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Friends, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. That if you've messed up, if you screwed up, if you thought about stuff, if you've done stuff, that there is forgiveness and there's wholeness, not based on trying harder, but by leaning into the holiness of God. And he will wipe your sin clean. He will make you a new creation. The old will be gone and the new will become. And listen to the outcome, friends, that times of refreshing, everyone say times of refreshing, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If you want to see, if you want to experience the Lord in spirit and in truth, if you want to experience times of refreshing during the hot summer months of the San Joaquin Valley, air conditioning will be turned off later in here. But the good news of the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ, you can take with you. And that is good news. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. So Lord God, as we close in this final song, I pray that we would not be perfect, but rather that the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, that you would lead us into the ways of the everlasting. Lord God, we right now corporately We place our hands. Would would you take your hands? Would you place it on your hearts right now, church? We place our hands on our heart as a symbol, God, of your hand on our heart. Lord God, we commit to cover our hearts in your word. We commit to consecrate our thoughts to you, God. And with our eyes, Lord God, we would we make a covenant with our eyes not to sin against you. Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart, not so that we may be perfect, God. You already took care of that, Jesus. But that we would know how much you love us, how good you are. And in closing, God, I feel for some people today that they want to step out in faith, maybe even by putting you first in the area of their finances. It's a hard issue, God. Would we trust you with all things? God, we don't need to be afraid. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us the desire, Holy Spirit, to give you the first moments of our day. Thank you for honoring the first day of the week. And would we give everything that we have as an overflow of what you've done for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.